The migration separation fight reaches the Delaware Valley on Inside Story right now. Good morning, everyone. I'm Matt O'Donnell. It is Sunday, June 24, 2018, and this is Inside Story. Let's meet our panelists here of the week. Rich Negrin, attorney. Good Hi, morning, Matt. Rich. Pleasure to be here. Farah Jimenez, her return here on the panel. The first time here with you, nonprofit executive. Welcome back, Farah. Thank you. David Dix, government relations executive. Good morning, Good David. Thank you. And Sam Katz, filmmaker. Good morning, Matt. The panel. Good Welcome morning to back, Farah. Let's get rated on it. Yep. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence visited Philadelphia this week for a Republican Governors Association event. He also officially endorsed Scott Wagner. Hundreds of protesters upset about the Trump administration's policy to separate migrant children from their families were there to greet them. Days later, as you know, the president would reverse his policy with an executive order, although there is mass confusion over this. All three governors in our area, all Democrats, acted to distance their states from the separations at the border controversy. Senator Bob Casey, the Democrat from Pennsylvania, called the separation policy morally abhorrent. Rich, did the protests in Philadelphia, the protests in home, on Twitter accounts, etc., truly make a difference in what the president decided to do? I really think it did, um, I, and I'm glad to see that I think the First Lady had something to do with it as well. I think we heard some reports about that. But I think it wasn't just Philly. You know, we've invented free speech here. We know how to protest. We're kind of professionals at it, and that's great. But I think you've seen an uprising across the country around this injustice and these kids. 2,300 children, some of them are here in Philadelphia, in, Philadelphia, in the Philadelphia area. Um, and, you know, with no direct connection on how they're tracking these children, how, you know, we're finding their parents and how we're able to unite them. Um, I think the country's outraged, and I think Trump did something incredibly unusual, which is he reversed his course. There's an impression, Farah, that the, the administration doesn't care about protesters, those with the left wing. And do you think this proved that wrong? Well, I would say I don't think they care about protesters, but I do think they care about families and making sure that they're united. I mean, you have to understand that what happened here was the extension of a policy that existed for many administrations, including the Obama administration, and that the way that the coverage has um, ex uh, been presented in terms of the strategy, many of the uh, photos that have been used have generally been around those times when it was under the Obama administration. The kids that were in a cage was an, a staged protest. The kids that were... Um, uh, the family that uh, the, the one of the images was of uh, kids who were being sheltered during the Obama administration. The difference is that the Trump administration decided to take a very hard stance on it, as opposed to adopting the Trump administration, I mean the Obama administration's approach with catch and release and sending people back out. Um, and as a result, it created this awful scenario of all these separations. The truth of the matter, the issue is not resolved. The executive order isn't going to be sufficient. There's going to be need for legislative fix. And what I hope is going to come out as we make our way there is the reality of really what the argument is. It's centrally about whether or not it's the Democrats' preferred approach, catch and release, basically open borders, or the Republicans' approach, which is more about making sure that we obey our current immigration laws. David, Sam? It's a, it's a classic case of undermining the moral fabric of America, in my opinion. Uh, it, it's the policies and the implementation are important and interesting, but in the world that we live in today, symbolism is what matters. Symbolism is what drives people's emotions, it drives people's reactions. And the Trump administration from campaign to today has been anti-immigrant. Doesn't matter whether, whether an immigrant can contribute to the country or whether, in his words, they're criminals and rapists. 
I heard Jim Kenney on Thursday at the David McCullough Prize for Excellence in American Public History say that when Irish Americans, he, he's <laughs> one of them, rail against immigrants, they're railing against themselves. When hyphenated Americans rail against Mexicans, Muslims, Central Americans, and Africans, they're railing against themselves. We're railing against our own history. This, there is not a single person in this country other than Native Americans who is not here as a result of immigration, many of whom, grandparents, came here illegally. So this whole thing to me is all about dividing the country, creating an image that I think has undermined our position as a moral leader in the world. And if we don't work on making America great again in 2020, we will never be able to recover our position as that moral leader. I appreciate Sam's uh, historical context, and that's what I try to offer when I'm on the show. And I think it would be remiss if not to see the long history uh, of American immigration and who is received by Americans with open arms and who is often castigated out as other. Uh, you think about uh, the Chinese Extradition Act. You think about um, just pre-before the Holocaust when there were you know, Jews escaping the Holocaust, coming to America, and were turned away. And not to mention uh, the slave trade that separated any number of mothers and parents from their children. Now we have brown babies who have come into America and we can't seem to see the humanity or the connection with these people. They are still other. And I think as Americans we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard to, to welcome folks with open arms, to see the humanity in us all, and to, and to not and to not see folks as other. They're coming here the same way the Irish people came here and were met you know, with, with retribution, the same way that the Italians came here were met with retribution. And I think this is a narrative that is, is pretty woven in the American story. When you, use words, like, when you use words like infest, mm -hmm. that people yeah. are infesting. It's outrageous. Choice. This is just not right. I mentioned Senator Casey's comment. You have Congressman Lou Barletta, who's running against him in November a longtime immigration reform supporter, said at first the separations could be a deterrent to lawbreakers. Others have said that. Republican Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania suggested having family detention centers that could help solve the problem of separation. So what do you say to those who have had negative experiences with immigration? And there's a variety of, of things. People who see this differently or in communities where they feel like they're getting uh, too much pushback from people coming in from other countries. What do you say to those who actually cheered the president's original policy? I think the word Shame on there, you. There, well, there needs to be an immigration policy. Mm -hmm. we can't, there, there's an immigration problem, and everybody has to recognize that this isn't just about children being separated from their parents, which is a disgrace. But if the, there needs to be a legislative solution, Obama couldn't have one and Trump can't get one because we can't come together on almost anything. But if you want a permanent solution to problems, executive orders have proven to be very fallible because the next administration comes along and puts in another executive order. We need a legislative solution to this. Could this be okay. a big issue with Barletta Casey in November? I mean, it is June right now. I mean, I think it plays into a narrative, obviously, that um, continues to exist with the Republican Party, this idea that they um, are not particularly empathetic. And I think it's because generally Republicans' biggest challenge is that they do, when given the difference between using their heart and their head, they tend to go more head than heart in terms of how they decide to see, see things. So obviously, under the Obama administration, the choice to um, basically release people 
when they brought children and to almost treat us like an open borders as long as you have a child with you um, is a heart-filled approach, but then it has consequences, obviously, for a society where you do want to have some control and you want to know who's in your country. Alternatively, I think the Republican stance, which is probably what you're hearing with the Barletta's of the world, is the idea that we need to be disciplined about how we um, welcome people into the country. Mm -hmm. So this, even this narrative around Toomey with the detention centers, that's a, a positive approach. It doesn't play that way in the media because it sounds very negative. We think of detention centers as being places where you put people who are criminals. But it's a way of making sure that families can stay together because the current law does not allow them. You cannot put young kids in an adult uh, detention center. So you need to create vehicles and opportunities for families to stay together while they're seeking their asylum and getting their papers in you, order. You mentioned there are some children here in Philadelphia. Yeah. And I find that surprising given Philadelphia's status as a sanctuary city. And you would think the federal government would avoid cities like that. You know, Matt, it's really disturbing. I, I mean, I, I saw a report just this past Friday of children being secreted away from their parents to LaGuardia Airport, landing in New York, people hearing about the fact that they're arriving and showing the support at the airport in the middle of the night. Um, Lying to children, take, giving them drugs, which is, is, is alleged, lying to them that they're going to go get a snack or dessert or a shower and then yanking them away from their parents and traumatizing them is not a sensible way to do immigration policy. It's horrible. And that's not who we are as Americans. I'm glad you gave some historical context. We used to be a beacon of liberty and freedom. My parents came here from Cuba. Many of our parents came from different countries fleeing communism. Um, and they were welcomed. Uh, sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. The Mario Boatlift was not welcomed, mm -hmm. right? And those Cubans are still here and contributing. The fact is, and, the, and Barletta, I think, is going to be an issue around this for him and Hazleton, is that immigrants are a net positive in the United States, and they commit crimes at a lower rate than the general population. Um, and that's the truth. Those are the facts. Anything otherwise is a lie. I think I think Republicans. And I was going to say I think Republicans and Democrats are in violent agreement about that. I mean I think there is this attitude that the United States, it's all of its success is really because it's been will, willing to welcome strangers and um, and immigrants. But I do worry about the fact that the way that we've cast this whole narrative, the histrionics around it, is creating more division and people are taking sides as opposed to looking for opportunities that we can actually tackle Seems this like problem it happen together. happens a lot these days. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah, sure does. Let, uh, other topics here. Where is the missing money? The Philadelphia mayor responds. Mayor Jim Kenney wrote an op-ed for Philly.com to address city controller Rebecca Reinhardt's claims that the city is missing $924 million due to accounting errors and sloppy bookkeeping. The mayor says... Reinhardt exaggerated errors to excite the news media that the errors were already fixed, but admits the discrepancy has only been reduced by 30 percent. And he links to the city finance director's website detailing how this is being resolved. Sam is someone who is very well versed in city government and finances and such. This is the second major clash between Kenny and Reinhardt, the first being the sugary drinks tax where the revenue is going. What do you think about this? Well, I just gave Jim Kenney big praise, but I have to say the finance department of the city of Philadelphia does not generate confidence. Uh, and, and historically, uh, Reinhardt, Rebecca Reinhardt was part of that group, so it's a little kind she of interesting to see. Mm -hmm. Well, she was the budget director mm -hmm. for a long time, and then she became a special assistant to Jim Kenney. Uh, this is a disgrace to me. I mean, if you ask me, do you not be able, you're, you're not able to reconcile your, your accounts for months, years, mm -hmm. and you want people to give you more money in the form of taxes? And if I start getting going on the city's finances, I will, I mean, when nobody, nobody, 
talks about a nearly $6 billion unfunded pension liability that uses $450 million a year of a $4 billion, 10% of the budget goes out the door to pay for unfunded pensions. We have a city that has gotten hooked on taxes. There is no tax that Philadelphia City Council looks at, or the, or the mayors of Philadelphia, not just this mayor, that they don't want to raise. Now, the council's pushed back because we reassessed and we created an actual fair value assessment system. Philadelphia is killing itself with finance, and this is just <coughs> one piece of that. And problem. Sam brings up the budget, and maybe, David, you can address this, yeah. where the city council sent the mayor a budget. It doesn't give him his real estate tax increase that he wanted, but it does uh, slow down wage tax decreases, also real estate transfer tax. Uh, money still going to the school district, more money. What do you think? I mean, I think that Sam's point, I mean, this is the height of hypocrisy for Brecker Reinhardt, who was so uh, woven in the finance structure over the time that these issues were going on. This, the, the irreconcilable uh, monies started in 2010. Rebecca Reinhardt was the city treasurer in 2010. She went from then being city treasurer to city budget director, and then went to being city budget director to chief administrative officer. So to this idea that this has just happened, or this is just she's just become aware but of at this. Least now the, not, at least now the public knows about it. Yeah, but that's not a fair characterization. Um, I had a chance to interview Rebecca Reinhardt recently for a show, and one of the questions I asked her is, why did you choose to run? And the way she laid it out is, listen, I have all these years of experience on Wall Street. I've had these years of experience in uh, government, in municipal government here in Philadelphia. And one of the biggest frustrations I had is that when I would bring things to the fore, that I would often get shot down because there were political consequences hmm. that required us to take a different approach. So I decided hands I wanted to run. Right. I, my hands are yeah. tied. And so I decided to run for controller because then I would have the freedom given to me by the electorate to bring these things forward. Now, I know that for an administration feel like she put a finger in their eye because she used to be part of that team, but the opportunity that we have, I think, as Philadelphians is that we do have someone who ran for genuine reasons and is trying, I think, to bring forward issues that she probably was really frustrated Rich. with. There's a part of the story that we're not talking about that I think is probably the most egregious. Obviously, that amount of money is astonishing, right? There, there's no excuse for not being able to reconcile your dollars. They knew about this last summer. They knew about this last summer. It took Rebecca Reinhardt at a budget hearing to have, to have all of that come out. The city knew for more than eight months before that happened. That's a problem. I mean, you talk about transparency, you talk about telling people what's going on. I don't know what the money's missing, because they keep using that word. It sounds like they just don't know how they've spent it or where they put it. But I gotta tell you, as a mm -hmm. former city manager, we knew what our budgets were, what we were spending it on, what our priorities were, and how much we were asking for every single year. So I don't understand what's going on in, but since 2010. Real quick, David, go yeah, ahead. It's, go it's, ahead we're two years into this administration. This issue is eight years old. Who was managing this process eight years ago when this issue started? The same people. It, but it, it, it's really improper to put this on Treasurer Johnson, who, since she's been there for the last two years, has been one flag the issue, put financial support, put more administration to kind of figure this out and come to a resolution. You need that and guy from, from the movie Dave, the accountant. The accountant. Everything's fine. Charles we'll be right back is. with Inside Story. <laughs> back with Inside Story. Possible government shutdown in, no, not Pennsylvania, in New Jersey. The Democratic-led state legislature passed a budget that Democratic Governor Phil Murphy said, don't do this, they did it anyway. He and the legislature are arguing over which taxes to raise, those on residents or those on corporations, and are trading claims on budgetary gimmicks. No budget by, well, Saturday night, 
uh, this coming weekend, we will have a state government shutdown. David, why are they having problems getting along? You have a Democratic state legislature, you have a new Democratic governor. What's going on? Well, you know, New Jersey is a strange place, as we all know. And when you have a governor who is from the who is from the financial sector, you know, he's a former partner at Goldman Sachs, former ambassador to Germany, and he's really a North Jersey guy. When you have Steve Sweeney, who's a South Jersey guy, if there ever was one in the Senate and leading the Senate, you have a discord. And there's just really like it's been a very, very difficult time for the two of them to mesh, and it's showing evidence in this budget. You believe that you saw the report where someone saw someone, uh, Governor, former Governor Christie, on a train. They claimed that he was speaking to Sweeney and giving him strategy. This is a former Republican governor who presided well, over the last governor Christie was there, down. they were getting budgets done on time. So uh, there is a relationship between former Governor Christie and Senator Sweeney, one that has shown good budgets on good time before. Now there's a discord between uh, the Democratic Governor Murphy and Steve Sweeney. So I'm not surprised that he's going to, to Governor Christie to figure out an angle on this. He described, by the way, perfectly what was the problem was with Governor Corzine. Mm -hmm. yeah. Same exact situation, right? You know, man, I just want to say um, that New Jersey has something to learn from Pennsylvania, right? For the first time, and I think we talked about this 20 years, Pennsylvania has a budget on time um, 10 days early, yeah. right? So Jersey needs to learn a little bit from us. Well, I mean, I was just going to say that the, the difference between the two is that they, um, the agreement is that they both want to raise taxes. I think the disagreement is really on who they want to place the burden, mm -hmm. corporation versus the individual. Yeah. And um, if, if I were to place a bet, probably Murphy is correct because he's the one who understands the finance and the new tax law, and probably Sweeney is correct in terms of where people feel it should be placed, and mm -hmm. I don't know where they're going to. I want to talk about the Pennsylvania governor's race, but real quick, with the Pennsylvania budget, it, it looks like it's a done deal. Is it because of the gubernatorial campaign that they want to get it out of the I way? I think it's because of all the campaigns. All the campaigns. So you have yeah. Republican representatives and senators who are going to be kind of fighting against the Trump wave right now, and they're like, we need a budget done on time. You have a governor who wants to be reelected. He needs a budget done on time. So I think it was in everyone's self-interest. Mutually exclusive interests. That's it. Right? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Pennsylvania's odd couple. Mm -hmm. The whole gubernatorial <laughs> race here. So we have Governor Wolf and his running mate, John Fetterman, they went shopping for ties in a new campaign ad. Uh, John Fetterman is, it, it really tends to stand it out no matter who he's standing next well, to. Well, he's 6A, yeah. Yes. Uh, we also had uh, Republican gubernatorial candidate Scott Wagner releasing an ad telling Philadelphians uh, he will help them where Wolf would not. Let's touch on the Wagner thing. Why is he going after Philadelphia voters? It's a smart so move. I mean, Why? it's the first time I've seen a Republican candidate for governor overtly te on television try to connect with the Philadelphia voter. If, if Philadelphians paid attention to Harrisburg, which I would argue they do not, they would probably have a different view of Scott Wagner than the one that they're actually going to get because they're going to meet him through this ad for the first time. And I don't think there's a big pool of votes here for, for Scott Wagner or for any Republican. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, have, I think I demonstrated that adequately. But um, the fact of the matter is that if he picks up a couple thousand, 10,000, 15,000, higher than normal but, uh, performance, in not only in Philadelphia, but in the southeastern Pennsylvania voter-rich uh, pool of counties, what is now not looking like a really close race could become a very close race. And in that context, the last two weeks of the race will be dictated by what Donald Trump is doing. And I used to play for a guy named Valvano, who was the coach at UNC, uh, NC State. But at Johns Hopkins, he said to us, 
We get get within two six points with two minutes to go, <laughs> and I'll win the game for you. And for Scott Wagner, right. keeping it close mm -hmm. is all he needs to do. And 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 I, Sam is pointing out the potential political reasons, but I also want to say that I, uh, knowing uh, Wagner and Jeff Bartos, his running mate, that there really people who are genuine who really care about the community and they're not using polls to determine whether or not to make these kinds of ads they really do want to display that they have some empathy and concern and they want to make a difference in those communities where people are hurting and they continue to hurt yeah I think generally people feel better about the economy in Pennsylvania obviously Harrisburg felt that way because they were able to go home 10 days early but um, there are counties where the um, unemployment rate is far surpassing that nationally, where people are really hurting, and, and they're showing that they have some empathy and, and interest in helping them. Anita, real quick on uh, Wolf and Fetterman. What do you make of real early on, really, kind of playing off each other in this ad? What's, what's going on? I think on? it's going to work. I mean, they have to introduce John Fetterman to the state, and that's a good it's way like to do it. It's like the first time I've ever but seen a I, lieutenant governor candidate in an ad. Right, but it's also important to note, I mean, it's the first time we've ever swapped lieutenant governors in, sure, in the middle of sure. election. Yeah. But it's also important to note that both John Fetterman and, and Governor Wolf are from York, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and they... As Scott you know, Wagner. Right, right, as Scott Wagner yeah. is. So, like, all three of them initially lived, like, a mile, two miles from each yeah, other. Fetterman's from Allegheny County. No, Fetterman's in Allegheny County now. He graduated he, from York High oh, School in 1988. And then you have Bardos, who's from Berks County. Correct. It's like yeah. this small part small portion role. of the state, but, and they're all in the But race. I do want to say something about that real ad. Quick, that ad was really effective, except it doesn't underscore the bigger differences between them, which there, is anti-fracking, anti, -fracking, anti yeah. So there's a lot of very different political differences between Fetterman and Wolf. Inside Stories of the Week coming up. ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Inside Stories of the Week, we start with Rich. You know, Matt, on the heels of some horrible mass shootings um, across the country, every state around Pennsylvania has enacted gun reform laws. Well, this week, very quietly, Pennsylvania, the House Judiciary Committee, passed two bills, one that takes guns away from domestic abusers and the other one that is one of these red flag laws that allows family members and law enforcement to remove guns from dangerous people. Those laws need to be passed. Uh, call your legislators, get involved with ceasefire, PA. Pennsylvania needs some common sense gun reform. Thanks, Rich Fair. So it's either a story of mutual assurance or mutual destruction, but apparently in the General Assembly of Pennsylvania, the House Democrats and the House Republicans each have individuals that should be expelled because of their ethical violations, and they have chosen to wait for the other to go first. So we'll see if all get expelled or if they just protect their members. Okay, fair. Thank you, David. Yeah, so that this past week, again, the state Supreme Court voted to, to not release grand jury testimony of the six dioceses that have been under grand jury seal for the past two years. Uh, I think that was a terrible move, and I know that uh, Attorney General Josh Shapiro, although he is not Catholic, is earning a lot of favor among Catholics who like to see um, reforms put in place and a real resolution to what has been a horrible legacy for our church. Thanks, David. Sam. Philadelphia Business Journal had a great article about how Philadelphia was going to become more technically sophisticated in city services and mentioned using sensors and crowdsourcing data to find ways to patch up potholes more quickly and to predict where they are going to pop up next. Now, I would suggest not spending money on that. I think this would be a better way to predict where potholes are going to come because they are everywhere and they are destroying the, the tires of many, many drivers. They can just throw darts on a map. Including me. That would be a very good high-tech method. Sure. For Governor Wolf says it might take till the end of July to fix them all in the state of Pennsylvania. He's kidding himself. In July of 2028. That's, <laughs> that's Inside Story. 
Thanks to our panelists. Thanks to you for watching, and I'll see you Monday morning at Action News at 4.30 a.m. Bye-bye.